you're uh, sitting down, why don't you turn to the book of Romans. And today, for the last time, we come to Romans 13. Romans 13, and we're going to be looking at kind of the climactic verse of this whole section, verse 14. Question. That's your little light up there. And the question is this. This little light of mine, how do I make it shine? How do I make it shine, especially at Christmas time, with the, with the true spirit of Christmas? We're going to find that out today. Some of you may remember uh, many months ago, I think it was about six months ago or so, when we were just starting this two-chapter section of Romans, Romans 12 and 13. We skipped down to this very verse that we're on today, the one that is at the very end, because by it, Paul tells us how to apply everything that came before it in these two chapters. And by doing this, he reveals what in a lot of ways is the most important secret in living the victorious Christian life, the spirit-filled Christian life. And so uh, we went forward to this verse six months ago, and I said back then that once we're through these two chapters, Romans 12 and 13, if, if we ever got through them, and by God's grace we have now, um, I would take out, in a lot of ways, the same message and do it again. So important is this one verse, Romans 13, 14, to being a Christian. Uh, I said then that I'd use the same words as much as I could to kind of beat a path in our minds so that we wouldn't forget, so the Spirit could flow through us, so the Spirit could flow through the kind of obedient action that Paul talks about here. As the ancient Romans used to say, repetition is the mother of learning. And so at long last, here we are again, having worked through these two chapters, here we are again at Romans thirteen fourteen. Where Paul says, as we read it, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. Now, last week we talked about the negative, that is, make no provision for the flesh. Do not feed the animal, right? Don't feed that animal with your thoughts. Make no provision. That was the negative. This week, as I said last week, we'll finish it off. We'll conclude these two chap the classic chapters with the positive. And I think it's providential that we've come to this in December because this is the secret, in a lot of ways, of the spirit of Christmas. This little light of mine, how do I make it shine, especially at Christmas time, reading 14a, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Put him on. The idea being that when we exercise these qualities, whatever it means to put them on, when we do that, we are being like Christ. Not just like Christ, we are actually becoming him in a way. You put him on. And the way you exercise all of these qualities is kind of like the Nike commercial. You just what? Just do it. In a lot of ways, that's what he's talking about. In a lot of ways, we Americans are uniquely wired for this. In fact, I came to see that back in 1974, uh, back when my sister and I, and I've told some of you this story, were bicycling and camping through Europe. Uh, back then, everyone in university circles did this, or at least a lot did. You'd stop out of college, as they called it, for a year or so to get another kind of education through traveling the world. 
And uh, so we went to Europe and then to Asia. And in Europe, we saw everything, you know, from the, the Louvre in Paris to the Uffizi Gallery in Florence. We did everything from mountain climbing and mountain rambling, as they call it, uh, in Austria to har- harvesting grapes on the Riviera coast when we ran out of money. And had to get enough money to get back to England, so we, where we had a flight booked and paid for to Singapore, where my folks lived. We did everything from that to pitching a tent on someone's manicured lawn in England. Our first night out of this four-month trip, we, um, we couldn't find the campground, so this British couple uh, invited us to their home. They, thanks to my sister Doreen, who stopped to ask for directions, which I wouldn't do. Because I knew where the campground was, right? I had the map. I mean, good grief, we put, all, put out all this money into maps, and I've studied those maps, and we're almost there. Let's just keep going. Truth be told, you know, I'd, I'd rather camp on the side of the road than ask directions. Well, it turned out the campground didn't exist, <laughs> which we probably would never have found out if she hadn't asked for directions. And uh, we didn't think we were doing that big a, de- a, de- a thing until we ran into a man in one of those quaint little British villages. We were uh, wheeling our bicycles through, and uh, an older gentleman was watching us, and then he kind of stopped us. He uh, stopped and started walking with us, and we stopped and um, struck up a conversation. And he looked at us in such a kindly way, almost like we were his, you know, grandkids or kids or something, in this proud, fatherly way. And then finally he said it, something that I could tell was just underneath there. He said, are you from America? And uh, we said, yes. And then he said, ah, I should have known. That's just like you Americans to do something like this. He went on to bemoan what had happened to Britain over the years, you know, how they'd, they'd lost their drive and their sense of adventure and they had no readiness to take risks anymore. And uh, we, you know, embodied everything that he thought was good about America or something like that. And we finally ta- we talked for a while. And when we finally went our way, as we rode off, I got to thinking that, you know, every culture has its strengths and its weaknesses. And God knows our American culture has a whole lot of weaknesses. But I think one of our many great strengths is that we are kind of that. We are a can-do country. And hopefully we won't lose that. We are a daring-do country. If it's daring, if it's risky, all the more go for it rather than hang back. Uh, You know, whether you're talking about bungee jumping that started here in America or uh, to the moon landing, you know, and everything in between. And it's summed up, I think, by the words of the Nike slogan, which would only have been crafted in America. Just do it. And that idea is at the heart of what we're going to be talking about today. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ. And we almost have an unfair advantage at this anyway, because we're Americans. Now, just what does this mean? What does it mean to put him on? Well, the Greek word that Paul uses here for put on is endunaste, and it comes from the the Greek enduo, which means to clothe. And so, in in fact, in some versions, it actually reads, clothe yourselves in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a word that comes from the Greek theater, which was uh, very popular back then. And they would instantly, have, when they read it, have understood what it was talking about. 
they used this word to describe what, uh, what an actor did when he got on the stage. And it meant a whole lot more than just clothing himself with his costume. Though that was the image. What it meant, though, that was the tip of the iceberg. What it really meant was uh, playing his part. It meant uh, uh, assuming his role. Literally, in a lot of ways, it meant that he entered into his character when he got up there on the stage. And so when Paul says, And do not say the Lord Jesus Christ, he means, and listen to this, that we are to assume the role of Christ on the stage of life. Just do it. You know, I studied Greek theater back in college, and in many ways, I had already uh, been taught some of these things. And um, in many ways, what Paul had in mind was the same that you see today in the theater. There are many parallels between the Greek and the modern theater. Uh, Whenever I go to see a play, I don't know about you, but it's always something of a shock. I mean, they just get up there and talk about projecting yourself, right? They're just kind of in your face with who they are. And they get it on and they turn it on and they throw themselves into their parts. They put it on. They just do it. It's like it says in Romans 12. I don't know if you remember all the way back to there, but that's the beginning of this two-chapter section about, on the qualities of true Christianity. And in Romans 12, too, what Paul tells us not just to do God's will, but he said to, that you may prove what is the will of God. What is good and acceptable and perfect. Prove his will. They, when they get up there on the stage, they don't just, you know, repeat their lines. They, they prove their part. And how do they do it? Well, anyone who studied acting knows that a good actor doesn't just, you know, memorize the words and then just regurgitate them. No, he, he's got to learn his character. He literally immerses himself into his character or her character. They really get to know the person down to their, you know, their smallest mannerisms until they can, what, what I've heard them say is I can, I can literally think what they think. I can feel what they feel. And it just comes out naturally now. And, of course, the four Gospels are the biographies of Christ, which were written to help us learn our part. And the epistles, you might say, are the, uh, the textbooks that help us uh, master his character. So it's not just a, something on the outside, it goes from the inside out. And the church, in a lot of ways, is the school for the fine art of living like Christ, which I think is, above all, the most noble of all the arts. But I'm afraid a whole lot of Christians, all of us do this, we forget our parts. We let that fleshly beast overwhelm us, like we talked about last week. Some even forget that they've got a part to play. The stage is so big, right? You forget where it's a stage. And the play is so long that, that we forget about our calling or maybe forsake our calling because it is so long. How long, O oh Lord? And rather, so often it's easy to live ordinary, obscure, uh, some times ignoble lives rather than crafting the noble art of putting on the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And so while all the world's a stage, I think Shakespeare said that, another man said, while all the world's a stage, so many are desperately unrehearsed. And that's why here at the end of chapter 13, Paul tells us that there's more to being a Christian than just thinking about it, than just hearing about it like we are here, than just reading about it, important though that may be to learn our parts. No, there's more to being a Christian than just what goes on up here. You've got to act it out. Just like in the Greek theater, you endunastei, the Lord Jesus Christ. You must go on having learned about him, having, you know, to the point where he's real for you, you must go on to make him real for others. That's the consummation of the Christian walk. It's what it's all about. Go on to bring him literally to life. Which is our incredible advantage, if you think about it. Most most of the roles that uh, normal actors and actresses play are either uh, of dead people, you know, or of people that never existed in the first place, right? But when we hit the stage, we are actualizing a real, live person. Someone who is actually in us because he was born unto us into a manger to be born in us, to flow through us. It's a powerful thing. Normal actors and actresses, they're they're mimicking, you know, they're they're imitating, they're they're just pretending. The most they can do, you might say, is, is a representational acting. But we have the unbelievable advantage of literally uh, incarnational acting. Not just pretending, not copying, but literally channeling the very character of Christ, actualizing the gospel, the good news uh, of Jesus Christ by literally becoming the good news. Because God has made each of us as kind of a unique prism. None of us have it all. We're each a unique prison for refracting just part of the spectrum of who Christ is. They they can see him in the creation, but that's at a distance. They can only see him up close and in person through you. You're the closest many people are ever going to get to Christ, and it's really close. And through me. And for that to happen, we just need to get up there and turn him on by putting on the Lord Jesus Christ. So, exactly how do you do that? What does it mean? You may have heard the story, true story of a minister. Um, I've used this before, but it's one that's worth repeating so that it will beat a path in our hearts. Listen to it. George Crane tells of the wife uh, of someone who came in for counseling. He was a minister. Uh, She was full of hatred toward her husband. And she said, I do not only want to get rid of him, I want to get even. Before I divorce him, I want to hurt him as much as he has me. Well, Dr. Crane suggested a very ingenious idea. He said, go home and act as as if you really loved your husband. Tell him how much he means to you. Praise him for every decent trait. Go out of your way to be as kind, considerate, and generous as possible. Spare no efforts to please him, to enjoy him. Make him believe you love him. 
then after you've convinced them of your undying love and that you can't live without him, drop the bomb. Tell him you're getting a divorce. That will really hurt him. So he said she had revenge in her eyes and she smiled and she said, beautiful, beautiful. Well, I, I can't wait to see the look in his face. And she did it with enthusiasm, acting as if. For two months, she showed love, kindness, listening, giving, reinforcing, sharing. But when she didn't return, Crane called. Are you ready now to go through with the divorce? Divorce, she exclaimed, never. I really do love him. Let me ask you a question. Was that hypocrisy? Is it hypocritical to act like it when you don't feel like it? Well, you can answer that with a question. If it is, to what are you being hypocritical? When you act like Christ, even when you don't feel like it. Who are you anyway if you're a believer? A believer in Christ who was born unto us to be born in us at the deepest levels of who we are. So we're no longer that animal. We've been divorced from the beast, the animal. And we got the spirit of Christ who is fundamental to who we are. That was Romans 6 and 7. Who is the real you now? Who is the one to whom you're called to be true? That's the question. Is it the old man or is it the new man? Is it the flesh or is it the spirit? Is it the carnal you, you know, the animal you who we talked about last week or the Christ in you? God says the real you now, what he sees is the Christ in you. And that's who you're becoming. And that's who you'll be in glory. So who's the real hypocrite? The Christian who seeks in, you know, your own stumbling way, three steps forward, two steps backward. The Christian who seeks to act like Christ or the so-called Christian who, you know, thinks he's got a ticket to heaven and so he lives like hell. Is it hypocritical to act like it when you don't feel like it? No, the real hypocrisy is when we don't live up to our name, our new name. As Christians, Christ ones. But, you know, whether you like it or not, you're still on stage. Because life goes on, and that's the struggle. Whether you're a pastor or an elder or a husband or a wife or a son or a daughter, whoever, young or old, whether, you know, you're, you're married or single, it all happens as the world turns. The world doesn't stop turning. Life, life generally uh, doesn't stop when you want to get off, especially, you know, if you've still got four months to go and you're stuck in the same two-man tent with your sister. That's kind of a parable of life, right? And so you just do it. And... We've seen how we do that over these last many months with industry and tenacity and brotherly love and showing sympathy and all these other wonderful qualities of true Christianity. Through it all, what Paul's been saying here in light of this in chapters 12 and 13 is this. To your own self be true. To the Christ in you be true. 
You know, it's actually how I came back to the faith after having fallen away for a number of years. When, when I graduated from high school, I was in a, a real fog. I didn't know whether Christianity was true. Uh, I didn't know what was true. I put my mom through hell on earth because she didn't know where I was going to end up. Because in high, high school, I stopped obeying the truth. I stopped putting it on. And though I was still a Christian, it was like the Spirit of Christ in me who's just waiting there to, be, to, to flood through me. That Spirit of Christ was massively quenched by my disobedience when I stopped obeying the truth. And so after high school, I spent years searching for the truth. I remember telling my friends if I could just find a button to press that would give me belief in Christianity, I'd do it because I know I'd be happier. But I was stuck in the fog. And finally, I decided if I was going to be intellectually honest, I need to start reading the Bible again. And I happened to be, I went to Proverbs, just opened up the book and went to Proverbs where it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And I thought, that's what I'm after. I'm after wisdom. I'm after understanding. I'm I'm after the knowledge of what's really true. And here it says that if I fear God, I'll get it. So I wonder what it means to fear God. And I learned that a good part of it, contrary to what many say today, is to obey him. If you, you, you prove you fear God, by your, you know, which means fear of God means reverential trust and devotion, and you prove that you've got that reverential trust and devotion to him above everything else by obeying him. It's a beautiful thing. By obeying God. If, and if you prove you fear God by obeying God, this was my conclusion you'll end up with the knowledge of God. And so I thought, "Uh uh-huh, there's the button I can press, right? So I can act through the fog. And so I did. I got off the fence and I just did it. I started to go to church. I started to pray. I began helping other people. I made peace with my parents and with my sister, (laughs) who I never got along with. I made peace with her by just doing it, by just going on a trip to Europe with her. That's why I did it. And I came to see, I came to know that Christianity was true, not just because of some intellectual you know, certainty in my mind, some syllogism like A plus B, therefore C, therefore it's true, QED, and you're on with your life. It wasn't just this intellectual certainty that I thought I needed that he gave me, but, but it, it, it ended up being this indescribable reality, this, this literally incarnational uh, reality welling up from my deepest heart, the spirit of the living Christ flowing through my life. And I saw just how much our faith comes to life when we bring him to life. When we put on the Lord Jesus Christ. The other option more and more is what, is what it was for me way back then. It's almost that a terrible curse hangs over the know-it-all Christian who does nothing. I've been there, done that. It's not worth going there. And I know that from my own experience, all of that. So, what about you? What would he have you to do. It may be something as simple as just coming to church again on a regular basis like I did. Or maybe making peace with your parents. Or maybe just choosing 
ever after having read everything else under the sun like I did, choosing to start reading, just reading the Bible. Or getting to know some real-life Christians rather than just keeping your distance and stereotyping Christians. Maybe you need to start acting like you love someone, like your husband, maybe, or your wife, or your mom, or your dad, or, heaven forbid, your sister. (laughs) Whatever it is, just do it. Just do whatever he tells you to, and he will shine through. You know, this is still a daring-do country, especially up here in Summit County. We get into just doing it, right? That's life. That's living. Out there on the slopes or the backcountry or wherever. Well, in the same way, this is living the Christian life. This life itself. The one who's the way, the truth, and the life living through you. There's nothing like it, as many of you know. And so, let's piggyback on this cultural virtue, virtue, this countywide virtue and put on the Lord Jesus Christ this season of Christmas especially at home and at work and out there at play let's pray together father we do want to thank you that uh, what we do at christmas time celebrates a reality it's not just an empty tradition a reality that's consummated as we put on the christ who was born in a manger to be born in our hearts I pray, Father, that we as a congregation would do that as never before and that many would see and desire to know that same person. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.